Good morning, good morning. How are you? All right. <laughs> we, uh, we have a few uh, jerseys in the house. Got some Packer backers. Okay. And uh, I saw a Seahawks jersey in a family of Bronco fans, so that was fun a few years ago. Uh, really glad you're here. I don't know if you're interested. How many of you will watch the game? Okay, good. Just to see T-Swift or to watch the commercials? Yeah, well, that's great. Hey, we're glad you're here. If you're online, thanks for joining us online. Super glad that you are here as well. If you'll take out a Bible or a smartphone with the Bible on it or some way for you to get to the Scriptures, go to Ephesians chapter 2. And while you're getting there, I want you to anchor out of that passage. So if you can get that in front of you, that would be wonderful. A uh, couple things, just as you're turning through your Bible and getting ready for that. Uh, we are Summit Church. If you're new today, we're super glad that you're here. We welcome you to our community of faith. Uh, we are in a season of restoration as a church, and we believe that God is also taking us as, uh, as a church family individually and in our homes through a season of restoration. Particularly, he is helping us to reclaim our past. He is helping us to redeem our pain, and he is restoring our purpose. This is a really big journey for us as a church. A lot of churches will hide their ugly stories. We believe God wants to use all of the ugliness of our lives uh, redemptively. And so that's true about our church story as well. And so uh, we went through a heartache here, and we're on our journey to restoration and believing that God has got his hands on it. Now, I wanted to give you a restoration campaign update because we also have kind of this effort, you can find this on our website, where we are joining our arms together to take this restoration journey. And so um, you can go to Summit Church online, summitchurch.online slash restoration and see everything about that, some videos and stuff. And uh, one thing we're trying to do is have an a, a incredible network of prayer. And so we have about 80 people right now who have set alarms on their phone for 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. and are praying together for our church seven days a week at those two times. I want to encourage you that can feel like, hey, I've been doing this for a while, and when that alarm goes off, you might just, oh, well. Uh, but I just want to encourage you, don't stop praying. We are believing for a, just a great work of God in our lives and in our homes and in our church family so, and in our community. So don't stop praying. Uh, we also are asking people to step into serving. We have a lot of serving opportunities available. We've had, I think, 50 people go through the growth track. Today's growth track, too, for a group of people going through there. So we, we're super excited about that. And we also set a goal of raising about $200,000 by the end of March uh, because this crisis left us in a financial gap. And so this uh, restoration campaign is a way for us to bridge that gap into our future as God builds our future. And so I wanted to give you an update on that because we haven't talked about it a lot. And so uh, I checked this morning. I think we're at $58,820.08 in restoration giving, which is incredible. Thank you for your generosity. And that leaves us quite a ways to go with a short time to get there. Name that movie. Long way to go, short time to get there. Smokey and the Bandit. Watch that bandit run. Okay, never mind. 1978. Anyway, <laughs> uh, here's what I want to encourage you, okay? I was looking today. We've had 31 donor families, 31 uh, giving units participate in the restoration uh, fund, and that 
uh, that is incredible and we're grateful. And I want to encourage any of you who have not done that to just pray about what the Lord might have you do. Dig deep into that website, pray about it, and see what the Lord might speak to you. It's a really important challenge for us to get from where we have been to where we are going. And we want to do that without borrowing any money. That is our goal. Um, we are a debt-free church. We have this facility in this campus here that's about an $8 million property that we owe no money on. And so that's a great help. And our goal as an elder team is not to borrow money. So that requires God resourcing the body to meet the needs of the body so that the body can keep moving forward well. So I just wanted to give you that update, and uh, you can pray that through uh, on your own. All right, so we're in this series called Made for More, and it's through the book of Ephesians, and we're going to make six shifts in our life uh, to find our way to more. Here's the thing. I see too many Christians, I know too many Christians deconstructing their faith, feeling stuck in their relationship with God, not sure God answers prayer, finding themselves discontented, um, maybe a little stale, stagnant. And listen, you were made for so much more than that. I was thinking this morning while I was brushing my teeth that uh, there's kind of two extremes in the Christian world. One is that we are, uh, you know, made for martyrdom and it's a hard life and we have to work really hard to be good Christians. And the other is that there's uh, a, a prosperity and abundance for every follower of Jesus and that we're not supposed to have any financial hardships and everything's supposed to be prosperity driven. And uh, these, are, these are exaggerations of the reality of what it is to be in Christ. And listen, what God has for you, this is the deal. Both of those perspectives focus on self. And the powerful work of God in us is that he has made us for more than ourselves. And it's in finding the why. Mark Twain said, two greatest days of your life, the day you're born and the day you figure out why. And so this is what we're on this journey of. Ephesians chapter one was our first shift and it's from more effort to more Jesus. And Ephesians 1, I think, articulates the greatest vision for the church the world has ever heard. What that vision is, is that we would be the people of God who have received incredible things from God, forgiveness of our sin, adoption into his family, uh, restoration of our lives. Like we have been given, gifted by God, the elimination of our shame, uh, our, our slavery has been broken like all this incredible stuff given to us from God, from Jesus. And then that we have been given the spirit of Jesus to live inside of us so that he can live through us. It is, and the, the vision of that whole Ephesians 1 summarizes there in our memory verses for this week, chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. And that is that the church would fill everything in every way by the presence and power of Jesus. You and I, the church, the people of God, we are created by God to be uh, incredibly, profoundly free, full of joy, redeemed, restored, renewed, and joining the ministry of Jesus to bring that kind of freedom and liberty to the world that we would bring with us because we are infected carriers of Jesus. We would carry him Every place, everywhere, filling everything in every way with the presence and power of Jesus. What an amazing thing. And so now we find ourselves in chapter 2, and we're going to make another shift from more doing to more being. We're going to go shift from more doing to more being. And we're going to see in chapter 2 this incredible reality that we have 
that each of us, individually and together, are actually a custom-made masterpiece of God's handiwork. It's an incredible thing. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, and here's the deal about this whole vision God has for the church. There are three obstacles that kind of keep this from happening in the world. There's lots of, there's lots of challenges for the church being the church and what it was made to be, uh, but there are three obstacles that we bump into. These are probably, I would say, the three biggest obstacles between who we are as a church and who God wants his church to be. This will probably surprise you coming from a preacher, but the biggest obstacle is pastors, professional pastors. And because you get, you get distracted by the professional pastors, the professional ministers, the professionals, and it's tempting for you to let the professionals do all the ministry while you come and consume of that ministry. And so it's a big obstacle, the fact that we have professional pastors who get to give their lives, as I do, to the ministry of the word and the, and the ministry of the church and equipping the saints. But it can be an obstacle because you can just pull up a chair and watch those pastors do their thing and enjoy consuming instead of join in to who you're supposed to be as the people of God. The second obstacle is church campuses. We have these buildings and these facilities, and you can get lulled into believing that if I just go to the church, then my relationship with God is flourishing, and it's really about going to the church. I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I don't become the church. I go to church. And you can get it in your head that these physical locations are somehow... Uh, the place where God lives. We use the phrase, go to God's house. That's kind of an old school phrase, but people would use that. Let's go to the house of the Lord. Well, that's an Old Testament phrase. That's not a New Testament reality. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit now. And so the house of the Lord is in each one of us and we are everywhere. So it's great to have a facility we can come and gather in that we can equip you in. Uh, but it can be a distraction. It can be an obstacle for you to think that I have a professional set of pastors who do all the ministry, and I go to the building to consume, and that's what it is to be a Christian. And the third obstacle is church programs, which can start to just feed you, feed you, feed you, feed you, and feed you until you're gorged, spiritually speaking, because there's no working out of what you're being fed and equipped. And so these are real obstacles. They're also incredible gifts that we have pastors and that we have churches and that we have programs because these exist to equip God's people for the work of ministry that God has called them to, for you to have the work of God go deeper and deeper and deeper into your heart. But we have to do some extra effort not to be tripped over these obstacles of pastors and buildings and programs or else we'll lose our way, and which is what has happened in much of the American church. We've lost our way on what it is to be the people of God. So today, Ephesians 2 is going to really help us understand what it is to be, okay? Not to do, but to be the people of God. What is it like for you to be a person of God? What does it mean for us to be corporately together, the people of God? And so this is where Ephesians 2 is going to take us. So uh, it is our custom to stand for the reading of God's Word, if you're willing and able to do so. It's a shorter reading today. We're just going to read the first 10 verses. This is Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10. Here we go. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit 
who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the crazy cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can brag. For we are God's handiwork. This is our memory verse for this week. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That is the word of God. You can be seated. Thank you so much. I failed to mention that we also have small groups going where we're, for these six weeks, talking through each of these uh, realities in the, in the scriptures. And so if you're not a part of a group, jump in. It's not too late. And on Wednesday nights, if you're looking for an easy entry, we have tables in this room, and there were seven tables in here. We had about 50 people sitting in those tables and having these conversations. So make sure you check out being a part of a group. All right. Our big idea today is that we are God's masterpiece. We are. We are God's masterpiece of his love, kindness, and grace. And our shift is going to go from more doing to more being, which is interesting because our memory verse is he created uh, good works for us to do, okay? So it sounds like we're going to go back to work. But the truth is that um, what our work is, it flows out of who we be. What we do flows out of who we be. And so as we be transformed by Jesus, everything we need to do flows out of who we be. So in Matthew 11, Jesus said, he said this, he said, uh, freely you have received, freely give. This is what he told the disciples. He said, you guys have been given grace and forgiveness and you've been given uh, supernatural help from God. Freely you have received, now freely give. This is kind of the idea we're going to follow here is that we are recipients of God's grace, his work in our lives. Freely that needs to flow from us. And I'm going to give you very specific help on how that, how that happens. Truly, effortlessly, as you be this transformed recipient of God's grace. So, Freely be received, freely give. Let's go through three things. First of all, we have been brought from death to life by the death of our death. I love this. And it says, you know, we have been, it says, as for you, this is the first verse, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead. The problem is not that you were bad. The problem is not that you're broken. The problem is that you were dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. Uh, in which you used to live. So he's going to talk about what this death is. And uh, then he says, uh, but, in verse 6, but because of his great love, he made you alive. 
So I keep telling you this, God doesn't, uh, God's not interested in making bad people good people. He's interested in helping dead people come back to life. How does he do that? How does he transfer me? This is another New Testament phrase that you've been transferred uh, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. This has been done to you, for you. God has transferred you. He has killed your death. Now, what does it mean to be dead in your trespasses and sins? Well, he says, as you live the ways of this world and followed the ruler of the spirit of the kingdom of this world, and specifically what happened is uh, you were gratifying the cravings of your flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And in the matter of doing that, you're a dead person. And what Jesus does to deliver you and change you from dead to alive is he kills your death. The reason I like that phrasing, instead of he just makes you alive, which is what I've always thought, but I was, as I was studying this passage last week, I'm like, really what he does, he doesn't just make me alive, he kills my death. And what is my death? That I am following the cravings of my flesh, that I am wrapped around thinking the way my flesh thinks, that I am wrapped around the thought patterns of this world, that I follow the patterns of the world, that I actually am allowing the spirit of the ruler of the air to shape the way I think and the way I process and the way I live. That is death. And what God does for you is he kills your death so that you can live Alive. Now, the reason I think that's so important to talk about it that way is because if you think you just came to life, what you do is you think, well, I came alive, but I still drag around this death. But the truth about your death is it's been dead. It's been killed. You don't have to give in to the cravings of your flesh anymore. That's called slavery, and you have been delivered from slavery. You don't have to think the way the spirit of the air of this kingdom of this world thinks. You've been delivered from that. That has been killed. That is death. And as you stay in death, you keep living a death life, even though Christ has set you free. So, uh, man, we have been recipients of Christ putting to death my death. This is really helpful for me. I hope it's helpful to you to think of this because what I do if I don't realize that is I keep trying harder to live alive while I'm still encumbered by my death. But what he's done for me is he has put my death to death. Let me read you a verse that'll help you with this. This is Colossians chapter three. And it says in verse one through four, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life, I love this image, is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is now hidden in Christ, with Christ in God, because you died, there was a death. And he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. So your death has been put to death, and now you live a new life. You live a life in Christ, and you are brought to life. It's like, it's like the transformation of Jesus is so amazing that the best way to describe it, it's like being born all over again because he has crucified your death. I Love that. And so we uh, live in newness of life. 
We are no longer dead. Now, this is going to be important for us as we think about how we intersect with people in the world because Christians waste a whole lot of time trying to tell people who are dead to live as if they were alive when, in fact, they're dead. You know, it's like, it's like sometimes our approach to the culture, our approach to people whose lives who are living dead, that is to say that they're satisfying the cravings of their flesh and their thinking is wrapped around the thinking of this world, that's death. And we yell at the dead person. It's like standing over a coffin with a person in it and go, why don't you live? Stop doing that. Why are you so dead? And they're like, what are you talking about? Because they're dead. And we curse their death rather than calling them to life. And this is why the world struggles to tolerate or like Christians, tolerate or like churches, because they think churches are spending all their time cursing the dead people rather than raising dead people to life. So the answer to that, first of all, is I need to let my death be dead. I let, you know, I let Jesus put to death my death, and I can live in newness of life. I can set my mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. I have been placed with him, seated with him in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 1 told us last week that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been given to me in Christ so I need to get busy just living, living, because the best answer for a dead world is a bunch of people living again. And so the first thing we talk about is, hey, my death has been put to death. I'm not a slave any longer. My death's been put to death. I am now, my life is now hidden with Christ in God, and I'm a resurrected person. Secondly, then, is what's next is we are a masterpiece of God. This is verse 10, and I, I do want to point out in verse 6, I believe it is, but because of his great love for us, I have a saying that uh, some people get tired of, but I can't stop saying it because I'm an old guy. It's like a dad joke. I love big butts and I cannot lie. Okay? You were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were satisfying the cravings of your flesh and wrapped around the thinking of your flesh. You were dead. But that is a huge but. But because of his great love, for us. You were made alive with Christ even when you were dead because of his great love for us. And then that leads us to verse 10, which is our memory verse. For we're God's handiwork. The word handiwork there is the word, Greek word, poema. It's where P-O-I-E-M-A, poema. It's where we get the word poem. And it means you are a work of art by God's own hand. You, your life is a work of art. God, as if he were writing a poem to the world, is using your life to express his poetry, to express his art. And he is telling a story with your story. So as he reclaims your past, as he redeems your pain, as he restores your purpose, he is writing a story through your life. And this is what's so powerful as Christians go through pain or struggle. 
God is using. He doesn't waste anything. He is the ultimate conservator, and he is using every scrap of pain and heartache and trial in your life to write out a poem to the world about what it's like to be free from death and to live life. You are an expression from God to the world. You're his poema. You're a masterpiece of poetry. You're a masterpiece of art. Now, here's why this is so important, because so many of us live our lives with an attitude of defeatedness, with shame from our past, with living like God's tired of us. The last thing we view ourselves as is a beautiful expression of the redemptive work of God in the world. We don't see ourselves as a poem or an expression of God's love to the world, but that is what you are. This is what God wants to do with you. You are a poem. But here's the thing. I want you to look at the verse, verse 10. It doesn't say you. It says we. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And if you go to verse 4 and 5, back up the hill there a little bit in chapter 2, It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. Guess what that word is right there? That's synthopoema, which means he has done something, creating a masterpiece with all of us. This is so critically important because not only are you a masterpiece demonstration of the artwork of God, Not only are you a poem and a painting and a beautiful demonstration of his kindness and love and redemption and forgiveness, his adoption, his blessing of every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, but we together are a synthesis poem where we as the body of Christ, we as the church, we as the people of God are also a loud demonstration, a poem and a work of art to the world. Now, dollars to donuts, if you go downtown Denver and you interview people on the street and say, tell me what you think of the church, I can't think, I I have a hard time believing you're going to get five people out of a hundred that would say, man, the church is beautiful. The church is this incredible demonstration of God's love for the world. The church is 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 a piece of art where God is showing the world how much he loves it. I don't think we'd get that answer, but that's the crime. See, that's the mistake because you are the handiwork of God and you are his poem. And together we, we are his body, his hands and feet. We are an expression of art to the world designed by God to be a masterpiece that demonstrates and portrays and reveals what? Not God's wrath, not God's judgment, God's great love for us. We were by nature, is what it says, objects of wrath. That word nature is species. Human beings by species are in fact objects of wrath. Why? Because we are dead in our trespasses and sins. This is the way it is. But you, because of his great love for you, he has redeemed you. Us, because of his great love for us, he has redeemed us and he is weaving us into a beautiful work of art to show dead people 
what life looks like. Not to show them that God's wrath is on them, not to show them that they are by nature objects of wrath. They already know that. (laughs) But to show them that God has great love for them and that life is available to them. And we are God's handiwork to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Now we get to the works part, okay? First of all, we were, we were brought from death to life by the death of our death. Secondly, we are a poem, an artwork of God designed to portray and demonstrate and reveal his great love. Not by works, lest any man should boast, not because of our deservedness, but because of his great love for us. And so now we have works to do. What are the works we do? Well, let's keep going in Ephesians 2, and I'm going to drop you down to verse 13. Listen to this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were uh, far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. Now let's just talk about what two groups is he talking about? In this particular instance, he is talking about Jews and Gentiles. God chose the Jewish people to be his people in the Old Testament. And they, got, they made a critical mistake. They thought that he chose them because they're special and they are only the ones. They're the only ones who are God's people. And so they didn't tell anybody. And they didn't try to convince other people to be a part of God's family. It's just them. And we see in the New Testament where God says, you're making the same mistake they made. Remember how he gave them water from a rock? I can't stop thinking about this. For some reason, I had this reality hit me this week when I was thinking about that God gave them water from a rock. They're in the desert. They're being delivered. If you haven't read the book, watch the movie, Ben-Hur. But uh, they're, they're in the desert, three million people, and they don't have any water, and they cry out to God. And God says to Moses, speak to the rock and water will come. And he's ticked off at them because this is yet, you know, time number 93 that they have rebelled against God. So he strikes the rock and water comes out. Now, I've always had in my head that it was like a water fountain. Like you take your water bottle, like all the the Jews would take their water bottle and get a little water. Uh, And man, isn't that great? There's a water fountain there now coming out right out of a rock. But that's not what the scripture says. And when you think about water for 3 million people, let me tell you what happened. Water gushed out of that rock, rivers of water to hydrate 3 million human beings out of a rock. The New Testament tells us that rock was Christ. What did Jesus say to us one day? He said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, who are thirsty. Out of your innermost being will what? Flow rivers of living water, just like gushing water out of that rock in the Old Testament. And then we're told in Revelation 22 that in heaven, there will be a, from the throne of God, there will be a river that flows right through the center of the city, and it will be for the nourishment of the nations. Trees of life will be on either side of the river. It's like this amazing thing. God is life, and he's life for everybody. And so uh, this is is your job, okay? This is your job and my job is to make the two groups one. That's the ins and the outs, the haves and the have-nots. Christians make a critical mistake. We think that God's love is designed for us. So we hoard it and we hug it and we love it and we sleep with it 
and we ask God for more of it, but we're not doing very good at saying, hey, he loves you too. So here's our mission. To make the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. So this is your point if you're taking notes. That your masterpiece mission, our masterpiece mission is to destroy barriers. The dividing wall of hostility. The church is not supposed to be the bringer of hostility. The church is supposed to be the ones who are removing the barriers of hostility. Making the two one, watch this, because this is transformational. This is different than we typically watch. By setting aside in his flesh the law of its commands and his purpose, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, out of the sinner, the dead, and the alive. He's trying to bring them all together to make one body and to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building joined together rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives. This is our masterpiece mission. Not to bring more hostility to people who are dead, who are so dumb in their death that they don't even realize they're dead. Hey, stop living like a dead person, you fool. Well, I'm dead. I don't know how to do anything but be dead. That's not our mission, to put up more barriers between death and life. Here's our mission, remove barriers. This is why Jesus was so vicious to the Pharisees. He's lovey-dovey on prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors, but he has beaten the snot out of the Pharisees. Why? Because they keep adding barriers that keep people from finding God. They made it harder, not easier. Here's our masterpiece mission, to be transformed by the grace of God, to let him put to death our death so that we can live new life, free, without shame, without fear, fully in the love of God, and for us then to be this community of masterpiece missions where we are the people of God, where he fills everything in every way with the presence and power and grace and love of Jesus. And to do that, we only have to do one thing, remove barriers between the people that God has brought into your life and God's great love for them, because there are lots of barriers. They know their sin is a barrier. And so you telling them that their sin is a barrier is not helpful. They know that when they look at the scriptures that God calls us to something they're not living. They know that. Do you think you've ever met a single human being that would read the Ten Commandments and go, yep, I'm perfect 10 for 10. There's not a person that thinks that about themselves. Your job, my job, is not to keep adding barriers that make it harder for people far from God who are dead to find life. Our job is to remove barriers and help them 
to know the big but. But because of his great love for you. Christ bore your sin on a cross, died for you, crucified your sin and your shame. Listen, dead guy, I don't need to tell you that you're dead. I don't need to keep telling you why you're dead. I don't need to keep telling you that you're thinking like the flesh and that you're giving into the cravings of your flesh. I need to tell you that because of his great love for you, Christ nailed your condemnation to a cross. I need to remove barriers and help you find him. That's my only job. And that is your job. And that is our job. How do we do that? By being one together in this newness of life, by living like people who are alive, full of grace and love and kindness, and helping people see the love of God demonstrated through his poema and his synthopoema, his body of people who not only live fully alive, but they're kicking down barriers between you and death trying to bring death to your death too, so that you can find life, not because you deserve it, not because you played by the rules, but because Christ has nailed your condemnation to the cross and his blood can cleanse you from everything. I've got great news for you. But man, the church seems to be trumpeting bad news. We just keep verbalizing all the bad news. We are carriers of incredible news that God himself is wanting to remove hostility. Let me read you one more passage. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm out of breath. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, listen to this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ And gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the whole world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal to the world through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God has made him who had no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is our mission. That is our only message. Be reconciled to God. God, who knew no sin, became sin itself and allowed himself to be crucified on a cross so that your sin would be done away with. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is our only message. Man, if we could do that, just imagine, just imagine even right here in the Denver metro area, imagine in your neighborhood, imagine in your oikos, the people that are in your life, these people God has brought around you. Imagine if every time they were around you, every time they were around Christians, every time they were around churches, every time they were around the body, the people of God, All they would hear and feel is that God radically loves them. Is that God nailed their death to a cross so they don't have to be dead anymore. That God, because of his great love for them, has paid just an unbelievable price to purchase 
their freedom. Dude, you can be free. For some reason, we have a hard time telling them they can be free until we first convince them how dead they really are. Man. So here's your response today. Okay, I'm over time. Uh, so here we go. First, let Jesus put your death to death. You can't be a part of what he's wanting to do. You can't be his poema. You can't be his masterpiece demonstration of his grace if you're still living in death, if you are still a slave. So let him put your death to death. Man, he wants to make you free. So first response today, and I really... I want you to know in your heart before you walk out of this room or turn off that TV, I know that Jesus has put my death to death, that he has transferred me from death to life. I want you to know that. If you're struggling to know that, there's a simple prayer that I call it the ABC prayer, to admit that you are dead and to believe that Jesus Christ was crucified to Put your death to death and to confess Jesus is Lord. That's it. It's not rocket science. That's it. And so, man, pray that prayer. If you need help praying that prayer, if you're online, you can drop in the chat. Somebody please pray with me and they will do it. If you're in the room, we're going to have people standing at these prayer stands in just a moment, you can walk over there and say, hey, pray with me. Maybe you have other things you want them to pray about, and that is great, man. They're there to pray about anything. If you've got a crisis going on in your life or a challenge you're facing, they're there to pray with you. And if you want someone to pray with you, I want my death put to death by Jesus. I want to be alive. They'll pray with you. Man, they'll walk you right through that. Second, Let's be the people of God, the masterpiece, poem, demonstration, artwork of God that removes barriers. Let's stop putting up more barriers and let's rip barriers down. People are dying. They're living in death. They cannot see the light of day. They're trapped in death thinking. They're trapped in death addiction to their flesh. They're trapped in the prince of the air of this world. They have bought into his truth. They brought, bought into his way of thinking. They are dead. And Jesus wants you and me, we, to demonstrate his great love for them and to knock barriers down that are keeping them from seeing the love of Jesus. Don't put more barriers up. Okay, I have to tell you this because it blew my mind. You know, the Bible tells us, the, the word Trinity is never in the Bible. Uh, that God is three in one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's just that way from Genesis chapter 1. He reveals himself, labels himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they interact all throughout the Scripture, starting in Genesis 1. And the Trinity is a fascinating thing, and we could talk a long time about what in the world that even is and what does it mean. But here's something that I just realized about the Trinity that is so cool because he revealed himself in this way before he made a single thing. And uh, I hope I don't lose you here. P 
people, philosophers and humans have struggled, we still struggle today with the tension between the individual and the we, the me and the we. And so, you know, our country, our culture is saying that me is king. And for something to be true, all I have to do is declare that it's true for me. Because the individual is more sacred than the we. And what the Trinity does is it bridges this gap. Because what the Trinity says is God himself is me, three of them. But the way God is whole is for the me and the we to be mutually submissive and loving to each other. How are we ever going to change the world? We stop living for me and we join God's mission for the we. And me only finds himself with the help of the we. And the we can only stay true to its mission by embracing the me, serving the me. It's a mutual serving thing. So guys, listen, we got to stop living for ourselves and stop hoarding the grace and love of Jesus and just celebrating it in our buildings together. We were created in Christ Jesus to serve the, the individual, to help them find their identity in the we of the people of God and even the we of God himself, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's all one. God has made everything for himself, in himself, through himself. I just love that. So I want to pray for you. And uh, then Karis is going to lead us in a song. And I want you to walk out of here with two things being true in your heart. One, my death has been put to death. Man, I am no longer a slave. I'm no longer dead. And two, I am a barrier-kicking son of a gun. I'm going to remove barriers that make people not see God instead of add more of them. I'm going to join the masterpiece mission of Jesus by letting the life of Jesus shine in a dead world. And I'm not going to add more barriers. I'm going to remove them so people can find their way to Jesus. Because there's people right now that God has supernaturally and strategically brought into your life who are dead. And what they need from you is not more barriers. What they need from you is to see the artwork of the redemptive power of God's love and kindness demonstrated right before their very eyes. All right, let me pray for you. While I'm praying for you, our prayer volunteers are taking their places. And if you need prayer, you can move at any time over there and let them pray for you. Honestly, online, please, if you've got a prayer need, drop it in the chat. They'll pray for you. Don't leave. What a shame for you to come in here carrying a heavy load and leave carrying the same heavy load. Let somebody pray with you about it. God, I'm so blown away that the creator of all things, he who knew no sin, would become sin itself so that we could be free. Man, how awesome is the love of our God. May you help us to be blown away by your kindness and your love and your forgiveness and your redemption. Not by works. None of us can brag or boast. It is 100% a work of your grace. Thank you. And help us 
to be grace givers. Help us to remove barriers, the dividing wall of hostility between dead people and you, so that death might be brought to life by your grace. Help us, we pray. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen.